deals with the heart of Bhagavad Gita. Uh, pure, unalloyed devotional service. And at the end of this ninth chapter, Krishna shows his unlimited compassion and and concern for those living entities who have taken an interest in rekindling their love for the Lord. Unfortunately, in this material world, not many people have some any interest in, in, in the Supreme Lord, and if they do have some interest, generally their interest is very vested. It's a vested interest. They have some concern more for their own well-being than to simply reciprocate love with the Supreme. The whole process of devotional service, which is given by the Lord's pure devotees, people that have actually fallen in love with God. The whole process of devotional service is to is there to let us rise above, first of all, to rise above mundane enjoyment. Because in this world, our mundane enjoyment simply ends in our being frustrated, ultimately, no matter what we go for, ultimately there's frustration waiting at the end in the material world. That's the unfortunate nature of this world. But as uh, the last time we discussed Bhagavad Gita, three weeks ago, we, we ended, we discussed the verse, Yat Karosi Yarashnosi. Krishna says, whatever you, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer and give away, do that thing for me. And in that way, it will become beneficial. I will accept it. And it will become sanctified. It will become beneficial for your, for your upliftment spiritually. And it will also not bind you to the unending sufferings of the material world. So in saying that, Krishna is basically, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever, whatever you offer and give away, whatever, whatever in life, whatever activities you perform in life, if you simply add me, if you simply see that engagement, if you simply see that food stuff, if you see those relationships, if you see that service, that work, if you see that in relationship to me, then your life will become perfect. You will actually not be bound up in the material world to suffering a reaction for that activity. And ultimately, you will, by offering it to me, by doing whatever you do in in thinking of me, by working in that way, you will actually come to a platform of, of loving relationship with me. Now, a common man would say we, such a philosophy of life, it's a, you have a pretty pessimistic outlook on things. 
<laughs> your whole philosophy is like, whoa, you're saying everything I do in the world is going to end in misery unless I do that in relationship to God? What is your justification for such a statement? Well, look around you. Unfortunately, when we look around, we, we have a hard time seeing things the way they are. <laughs> we don't see things using our full intelligence. I believe it was Eudistir who said that we're so foolish in this world that although <laughs> we see everyone around us is dying, we go through life thinking, I will never die. Imagine, just step back and look at life. Every, every, everything we see ends in death. It's a pretty pessimistic reality, but it's the truth of the world. Krishna consciousness is meant to give us, first of all, then one would say, well, why, why has Krishna, why has the Supreme Lord created an environment where everything ends in death? It would be a natural, what kind of God is that? That has created an environment where every, everything ends in death. And he's created the illusion where everybody thinks that although everybody I see has died, all my family, my forefathers have all died, I actually have a misconception that I won't die. Wouldn't we say, well, what kind, what, what, what is, why is that? Why is that? That that is the nature of this material world. Why would God create such an, such an arrangement? Population control. <laughs> There's no need for population control. <laughs> to prevent the planet from overpopulating. Yeah. That's a very cruel joke. <laughs> it's a very cruel joke. Okay, population control. It's a very cruel joke. Anybody else want to chime in why Krishna's come up with this arrangement? <clears throat> yes, sir. Yes. We, I, I feel that I, I know I have love for God, but if I have no way of expressing it, I mean, it's kind of totally useless. You know, I, I feel like I've lost something. And I'm, I'm not talking about just something that has no importance. You know, to me, you know, having a relationship with Krishna, you know, is very important. You know, even though I don't practice as much as I can. But, you know, on all times or whenever I'm by myself, I always think about, you know, what is my relationship with God? What is, you know, and is there a better way to improve it? You know, and I feel like if I've never, if I don't ever have that, then I've lost everything. You know, because things around me don't really interest me as much as I think they used to. So, so yes, the, the material world is there, and yes, there's frustration at every point, and yes, one could question why, and we should. That's the beginning of human life. People don't ask. People just accept, oh, this is the way it is. But Vedanta says, the beginning of Vedanta Sutra, Tato Brahma Jignasa, now inquire into your being. Use your intelligence. Inquire. 
And two, why? What is the purpose? And we learn from the Veda that the purpose of this material world is to facilitate our desires. We're part and parcel of Krishna. He's the supreme enjoyer. We're also little teeny enjoyers. And he's like a wish-fulfilling tree. You want to enjoy here. Enjoy. Somehow or other, though, we have misused our little independence. We all have independence. Krishna is supremely independent. We are also independent. But little, little bit of independence. And somehow or other, that independence has been misused. And therefore, Krishna says, oh, so although I'm your dear most friend, and I can supply you the very quintessential, quintessential loving relationship with me, somehow or other, you have no interest. You have interest, your interests lie elsewhere. So let me facilitate those other interests. So in essence, Krishna giving us this world is, is facilitating our interests that are independent of him. But those interests in reality are an illusion. Nothing's independent of him. Everything emanates from him. And everything that emanates from him is perfect and complete, including ourselves. Om Purnam Adaha Purnamidam. In that way, we can, be, we can understand through, through Krishna's pure devotees what the situation of the material world is. Krishna has given Veda and he's given us knowledge whereby we can live in this world and we can deduct our fares of this world and we can do them in such a way that, that we make Krishna the center and we again rekindle a loving relationship where the difficulties that we experience in trying to enjoy independent of him are eliminated by putting him in the center. So this week, we're going we're gonna to complete the ninth chapter. I know it's taken us a while, and, but it's, it's such an important chapter to understand. And as Krishna says in the beginning of the you know, ninth chapter, this is, this is really the, the heart of the text. Raja Vidya, Raja Guya. This knowledge is the king of education, the most secret of all knowledge. Secret. This ninth chapter, in the end, we're going to see how Krishna is so extremely kind as to hold those souls who again want to revive their loving relationship with him in the highest regard, in the very highest regard. Uh, we could chant any of these verses. We're going to cover text 29 through uh, the end of the chapter. 34, and uh, all these are wonderful verses. I'm actually going to concentrate this evening on text 30, so I think we'll chant that. It's a very unique, unique text. Apichat suduracharo bhajate mam nanyabak sudoreva sa mantavya samyag vyava sito sa. Even if one commits the most abominable action, if he is engaged in devotional service, he is to be considered saintly because he is properly situated in his determination. So we're going to read the uh, verses 
to the end of the chapter and then we'll discuss and try to cover the context of this verse and its significance. And the I mean, there's so many verses. All these verses at the end of the chapter are so significant. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Text 29. I envy no one, nor am I partial to anyone. I am equal to all. But whoever renders service unto me in devotion is a friend, is in me, and I am also a friend to him. Even if one commits the most abominable action, if he is engaged in devotional service, he is to be considered saintly because he is properly situated in his determination. He quickly becomes righteous and attains lasting peace. O son of Kunti, declare it boldly, boldly that my devotee never perishes. O son of Prita, those who take shelter in me, though they be of lower birth, women, vaishas, merchants, and sudras, work can attain the supreme destination. How much more this is so for the righteous Brahmanas, the devotees, and the saintly kings. Therefore, having come to this temporary miserable world, engage in loving service unto me. Engage your mind always in thinking of me. Become my devotee. Offer obeisances to me and worship me. Being completely absorbed in me, surely you will come to me. Krishna is really pointing out at this end of the ninth chapter the relationship that develops between him and his devotee. The loving relationship. He begins by pointing out in the 29th verse, he begins by pointing out the fact that, of course, being the Supreme Lord, he has, he's the father of every living entity. There is no real partiality He's equal to everyone. But there's certainly a distinction in the way he deals in reciprocation with his devotees. A simple analogy. Let's take, for example, the the light and heat of the sun. There's no real discrimination on the sun's part. The sun is there for everyone to enjoy its, its, its light and comfort of heat everything that the sun offers in the world. If I choose to live in a cave and never come out, that is my own free will. It's something like that with Krishna. He's there for everybody, but so many of us don't take advantage of his light and his heat, of his warmth, of his loving, of loving exchanges with him. As we've talked many times, the majority of, of religion in the world, the, re- the majority of, of relationships which human beings which have some intelligence to worship God or some superior being, generally that worship is done, it is fear-based, is it not? The majority of religion in the world is fear-based. <clears throat> in other words, we're good and we go to church and we worship God because... We're afraid of what will happen if we don't. <laughs> That's all right. That's a good place to begin. It's good mind control. Well, it also keeps us out of trouble, doesn't it? We, we realize if we go too far over the line, somebody may pull the chain. 
So fear-based religion certainly has its place in society, in human society. Nobody could deny that. But if somehow or other we can go on in life and live free of fear (laughs) and forget God, we will. So we see in societies throughout the world, whenever there's great prosperity and peace and tranquility in society... Sometimes people have no interest to show up at the church and to worship God. But as soon as there's strife and and conflict and shortage and uh, suffering, then we rush off to the church because we we know. Well, please, (laughs) why is that? Why why are these why are these things befalling me? So this twenty ninth verse speaks to the fact, Krishna talks to the fact that he's, he's not partial. He, every living entity is, he's open and available for everyone. Naturally, although he's the father of all mankind, although he's open and available for everyone, he takes a special interest in those that can acknowledge him. What's he say? I'm equal to all. But whoever renders service unto me in devotion, key point, service and devotion. Devotion is different from fear-based religion, isn't it? Devotion means I, I, I have some sentiment, some loving sentiment. Whoever renders service unto me in devotion is a friend, is in me, and I'm also a friend to him. So then Krishna goes on in the verse we chanted. Even if one commits the most abominable action, if he is engaged in devotional service, in other words, if he's trying to develop his loving relationship with me, he is to be considered saintly because he is properly situated in his determination. The significance of this verse especially is especially felt perhaps now more than it has been in the past, at least for myself. <laughs> And the reason I say that is, first of all, we understand that there's different stages of developing a loving relationship with God. And that gradual development of a loving relationship with God is broadly classified by the great teachers, the saints, into three categories. The lowest category of worshipers of the Supreme Lord is referred to as kanista adhikari. The word adhikari means qualification. So, the lowest level of qualification for devotion to the Lord, those worshipers of God, generally their worship of the Supreme exists within the confines of the temple of the Lord. That's when they go to church or when they go to the temple, when they go to, to the mosque, They offer their prayers to the Lord and they offer their worship of the Lord and they basically only see the Lord in that environment. They don't see God outside of the church. And specifically, they don't see the supreme within all living entities. That's kinista. That's the lowest qualification of devotional life. It's a good beginning, but it's also... A little, it's, the ground is a little shaky because generally we find that in order to really express our love for the Supreme, we must express our love for all of his parts and parcels, 
for every living entity. The second qualification of devotee, the Madhyam Adhikari, his qualification, Adhikari, is the fact that he can properly discriminate one's devotional position. And he uses that discrimination to his advance, to his advantage to advance in spiritual life. What that means is he makes a distinction between who actually has an interest in and, and service attitude towards God and those people that don't. Those people that don't accept the supremacy of the Lord. Those people that don't accept service to the Lord. Those people that are indifferent. So he makes that distinction. First and foremost, he takes shelter of those people that he sees as exemplars of pure devotion to God. He takes instruction from them. He worships them. He realizes if he's ever going to advance in spiritual life, they're his ticket to true spiritual advancement. They, they pave the way. So he takes shelter of the pure devotees. He makes friends with, his, with other people that are on the path, who are on his level of spirituality. He makes firm friendship with those people so that they can encourage each other. What's Krishna say in the next chapter? We, we chanted those verses again and again. They take, they take pleasure in chanting about me and hearing and conversing about me. He, he makes that very important to his life, is to seek out those pure people that are exemplars of just loving God and taking good instruction from them, of making friendship with devotees who are his peers, who are also striving for spirituality. And he discriminates against taking association of other devotees who are also recognized as taking to spiritual life, but aren't so firm on the path. They may be a little shaky. So he's careful to protect himself because... He always feels, no matter where he is spiritually, he's on quicksand. Even he's the most advanced. He's always so very cautious to think that his spiritual footing is not very good. I have to take shelter of advanced devotees. I have to be careful to not associate with those people who are not so firm. And I have to completely avoid those people who are inimical, who are atheistic, who have the wrong conclusions regarding the Supreme Lord. What do we mean by wrong conclusions? Philosophies that are contradictory to the instructions of those great sages and saints who we see as pure devotees and take shelter of. Specifically, those people who do not have a personal conception of the Absolute. Those people must be avoided if we're truly serious to make spiritual advancement. We must be very careful because they take the words of Scripture, they take the words of Veda, and they put their own concocted conclusion. And they're very expert at it. Very expert at twisting and making, at making us see things in a way that is contrary 
to the way that those souls who have fallen in love with God are teaching us how to come to that platform of love. They're tricky. They're saying, oh no, you're God. Yeah, you can worship, chant, that's okay, but that's just a step on the ladder to realizing that once you're free of the illusions of the world, you yourself are the supreme. We accept that. Yes, you're all supreme. I accept that. Teeny, itsy, bitsy supreme. Not supreme supreme. <laughs> A big difference. So, that philosophy uh, is, is the core of this Vaishnav study and understanding of the Supreme Lord. Achinta, beta, beta, tattva. Yes, you're supreme. Achinta, you're the same as God. But you're also different. Also different. Simultaneously, you're the same, and simultaneously, he's that much different than we are. In this verse, Krishna is speaking to the fact that on the path of spiritual life, those, those people have taken up a true determination. In other words, they want spiritual advancement. They want to end material suffering. They want to become a lover of God. People that are on that platform even if they have some difficulty due to whatever, we don't make a distinction. And that's why I'm going to read to you a little bit from Vishwanath Chakravarti because he's very strong on this verse. Not that Prabhupada isn't, but, but Vishwanath gives us a, 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 different, a, a deeper perspective. I shouldn't say deeper, a different perspective. That's, that's the significance of knowing and receiving information in the line of disciplic succession. That all of the spiritual masters in the line of disciplic succession, they broaden our understanding. And they are all progressive thinkers in spirituality, which is also our challenge, to become progressive thinkers in spirituality. We don't accept things blindly. Bhakti Vinod Thakur even gives in direction that we must be progressive spiritualists. Use our intelligence to understand what is being said in Scripture. Use our intelligence to harmonize all of the instructions of the various acharyas and use them to our spiritual advantage so that we can become situated firmly in proper spiritual understanding. In the beginning, the disciple generally hears exclusively from his spiritual master. But as he progresses in spiritual life and understanding, he also can take good knowledge from others in, this, in the same line, in the same discipline, which is important. I open up by saying I, I consider this verse so very significant because one of the greatest hindrances to our own spiritual advancement is, is the propensity to criticize devotees who have some difficulty. And Bhakti Vinod Thakur, he, he's the father of Bhakti Siddhanta, uh, and uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati is the spiritual master of. Uh, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, our spiritual master. He basically puts this consciousness 
that is bore of our material nature, or in, a, in, in relationship with the world, we've developed some very bad habits. And he says that he's speaking as if he's a fallen soul. Uh, the spiritual masters often put themselves in that position just to give good instruction. He says, I take great pleasure when I see another person suffering. That gives me great joy. I'm so fallen that that's my nature. So he's placing himself in the most abominable position that I, I am so fallen in spiritual life that my pleasure in life is seeing another living entity suffer. We also have a tendency to, especially in the beginning of our spiritual life, especially at the Kanista platform, when we only see God in the temple and we haven't really developed a proper understanding of the significance of Krishna's devotees as Krishna's giving us in this verse. When we haven't developed that true appreciation, uh, we have a tendency to criticize devotees when they have a fall down. In fact, especially in this day and age, with all the internet and uh, immediate communication, and we can develop communities who simply take the simplest or most serious of fall-downs on the part of a devotee. And when they're a community, they can simply, together, increase that fall-down to the greatest magnitude. They amplify it, just like a bunch of school kids. <laughs> I don't know, but when I, was, when I was growing up, you know, there would be fights. And uh, they got, if you ever got the... Uh, got somebody down, everybody would pile on. <laughs> I couldn't beat him up by myself, but hey, now that he's down there, hey, I'll take advantage of the situation. <laughs> We're so unfortunate that uh, we have that tendency. And that tendency is an offense to the holy name. Krishna speaks to that offense to find fault in the devotees, to blaspheme the devotees, to blaspheme the scriptures. So, in this verse, Krishna's saying, no, there's no fault on their part. If their determination, if their sankalpa, their intent, it's very important. I mean, it's not that every man who puts themselves forth at the Lord's devotee has the intent to purify their heart in developing loving relationship with God. There, there are people who come to God uh, with some ulterior motive. Well, at least they're coming to Krishna for it with their motive. So they may want to have some prestigious position. They may want to be Pope. <laughs> they may want to have many followers. They may want to be big guru. They may want so many things. So they come and they have some crooked idea. They have some, some cheating propensity. This instruction of Bhagavad Gita, which is even further further given in, in Bhagavatam, the beginning in the second verse of Bhagavatam, all these cheating, all this cheating religion, all this cheating mentality, all this cheating self-centered approach to the Supreme that's thrown out. That means that in the assembly of Krishna's devotees, those things are thrown out. That we concentrate on developing pure, unalloyed devotion for God. So that cheating, it's thrown out. 
That does not mean that people may not come into the assembly who still have a cheating heart. But Krishna is so kind. And the process of devotional service, Krishna consciousness, is so transcendentally powerful that Krishna is able to satisfy that cheating propensity in such a way that it's removed. That's his unique feature. <laughs> That's the unique characteristic of, of the process of devotional service. Even we come to God with some cheating mentality. Even we come with our hands folded, but more out. To give. Even though those things may be there, Krishna, he resolves that in such a way that those propensities are removed. And because of that, because of the way Krishna personally gives shelter to his devotees, when they are engaged in this process, in their determination, pure or impure, when somehow or other their determination slackens and they again fall sway to some abominable activity because they've come to Krishna, they're, they're, of, the, they're of the highest caliber. <coughs> These are the highest grade of men. These people need to be fully respected and admired and appreciated and if they're strong spiritually, <laughs> we seek their association. And if there's temporarily some difficulty, then we, just like Krishna, we must look the other way. We must not pile on. We must not find fault. Don't throw rocks if you live in a glass house. <laughs> we should all realize we're living in a glass house. We're all in the material world. And at any minute... Krishna's external potency is so strong that our spiritual position can be temporarily shattered if we're not very careful. In fact, Prabhupada speaks to that. He says that spiritual life is like a razor's edge. It's very difficult to walk on the edge of a razor. But Krishna's giving hope here, is he not? That even if on the razor, we slip and fall, and we suffer in some way. That even what commits the most abominable action, he is to be in, if he is engaged in devotional service, he is to be considered saintly because he is properly situated. I'll read a little bit from Vishwanath Chakravarti. I came across this purport first on Jayadwaita Swami's website. I think most of you know Jayadwaita seen him here, and he, uh, uh, he basically quoted it there in a, in a very strong essay when it come, uh, that he wrote in regards to the rampant fault-finding by certain devotees, especially facilitated by the current uh, technology of the, uh, uh, the Internet. I'll read a couple things that Vishwanath says. And uh, in his purport, and he's speaking as if he's, he's speaking in Krishna's behalf. My attachment to my devotee is my very nature. That attachment does not decrease even if the devotee commits wrong, for I make him come up to the highest standard. If someone with bad conduct, addicted to violence, 
thievery and adultery. Sudurachara, that word in the verse. Worships me and worships no one except me and does not follow any other process like karma or jnana and has no other desire than my desire, ananyabak. He is my devotee, sadhu. But considering his bad conduct, how is he a devotee? He is to be respected, mantavya, as a devotee because of his devotee qualities. It is a command. Not doing so is an offense. My order is the authority. Krishna's putting his foot down. Don't look at these, this temporary difficulty as something that serious. I order you not to do that. So he should be considered a devotee in that portion where he worships you. This is someone going back to Krishna. So you mean, I consider him a devotee when he's worshiping you, and as a non-devotee, in that portion where he commits adultery. And the response? No. He should be considered a devotee, Ava, in all his parts. Certainly, you should not see his bad qualities at all. He is completely convinced. Samyak Vyavasita. He makes a splendid resolution. I will go to hell for my sinful actions, which are hard to give up, but I will not give up dedicated worship of Krishna. So the qualification is also being given there in Vishwanath Chakravarti's purport. The qualification that allows the devotee the facility of being so cared for by Krishna. So cared for that even he does the most foolish wrong thing for whatever reason, whatever conditioning, whatever temporary thing happens. The determination to become a devotee, even if I have to go to hell and suffer because I can't give up my sinful life, my adultery, or whatever, still, I still will worship Krishna no matter what my position. <laughs> Krishna goes on. He quickly becomes righteous and attains lasting peace. Oh, son of Kunti, declare it boldly that my devotee never perishes. Now, why does Krishna ask Arjuna in this way? Oh, son of Kunti, please you declare, declare it that my devotee never perishes. Now, he's already mentioned this perishing earlier, hasn't he? Well, he has. <laughs> he's had. He says that in the second chapter, mm. in this endeavor there is no loss or diminution, and a little advancement on this path can protect one from the most dangerous type of fear. So again, that's in the second chapter, 40, 40th verse. Again, he quickly becomes righteous and attains lasting peace. O son of Kunti, declare it boldly that my devotee never perishes. So in the purports and the explanations of the great Acharyas, they point out that sometimes Krishna, in his loving exchanges with his devotees, plays duplicious, plays the thief. Krishna is simply having loving relationships with his devotees. Sometimes he even does those duplicious activities in his political dealings. 
Specifically, he promised. Listen, I know some, some of you know I'm God. So I have a lot of power. When I go on the battlefield, although I'm God, I won't use my power. I'll simply be a chariot driver. I won't engage in battle. Because if I engaged in battle, you'd all be finished. <laughs> so he promised this. I won't engage in battle. But during the conflict, being the chariot driver of Arjuna, Bhishma, who's also a great lover of Krishna, he was on the other side of the battle. He, he was on the opposition side. And he wanted to break Krishna's vow. Krishna had so much love and respect for Grandfather Bhishma, such a loving re relationship with him, that he said, okay, I'll break my vow for you because of my love for you. Krishna had, Bhishma had contrived plan, I will fight Arjuna so, so vigorously, Krishna will have no choice but to step down from the chariot and engage in the fighting. And he did just that. And Krishna, to protect Arjuna and to reciprocate with Bhishma in love. You want to see me do this? I'll do it. I'll break my vow for you. I'll fight. I'll fight you. So Krishna picks up a chariot wheel and runs toward Grandfather Bhishma to protect Arjuna in the battlefield. That's why Krishna's making this statement here. Arjuna, you declare it. You declare it boldly. They may not believe me. I've been known to do things but in such a way, in love for my devotees, that the common man may not understand those higher principles of love. <coughs> so he may see my activities in the world as duplicious. He may not accept my word, but he knows your word is good. I make your world, word most powerful. You declare it boldly. My devotee will never perish. So that's the significance here. O son of Preta, those who take shelter of me, though they be of lower birth, women, vices, sudras, can attain the supreme destination. We were just speaking the other morning of that other verse in Bhagavatam. That those that take shelter of the holy name, that even though they be dog eaters, yeah, wasn't that the verse? Yeah. Even though they be dog eaters, if they take shelter of Krishna's holy name, they're on the highest platform. That's how powerful devotional service is. Even though women, vaishas, sudras, this verse gets a lot of uh, spotlight, <laughs> especially in this age of, uh, of uh, women's liberation, especially the woman part. First and foremost, all I could say is, wow, just become acquainted with Krishna. Learn about Krishna and learn about devotional service and learn about Krishna's devotees. And what you'll find when you dive in to devotional service, 
is the position of Krishna's topmost devotees. And guess what? You're looking at yourself. They're all women. <laughs> the topmost devotees, they're women. The topmost lovers of Krishna, yep, women. Don't let our material conditioning lead us to a misunderstanding of what Krishna is saying here. He's speaking of in the material world. And in the material world, in a proper society, women are not given equal rights. They're given protection. Because when we give them equal rights, we exploit them. Equality in modern human society of women means exploitation. I'm not going to go into the details of this psychology right now in this class, but uh, we will. <laughs> uh, just let me assure you that uh, in looking out for the care, in looking out in a loving way for the care, comfort, and protection of women, the feminist movement is doing them a great disservice. It goes on in verse 33. How much more? <clears throat> This is so for the righteous brahmanas, the devotees, and the saintly kings. Therefore, having come to this temporary miserable world, engage in loving service unto me. So besides the fact that Krishna is available, the process of devotional service is available to vaishas, sudras, and women, how much more for the righteous brahmanas and the devotees and the saintly kings, those people that actually recognize uh, God, and, and follow his directives. And then Krishna ends this chapter with the theme verse of Bhagavad Gita, in Sanskrit, Paribhushana, Manmana Bhavamad Bhakto, Majajimam Namaskuru, Mamevayasi Yuktaivam, Atmanam Matparayana. Engage your mind always in thinking me, become my devotee, offer obeisances to me, and worship me. Being completely absorbed in me, surely you will come to me. This is the theme of Bhagavad Gita. So much so that look ahead in Bhagavad Gita to the 18th chapter and look at the two verses. Krishna repeats himself almost to the letter. Always think of me. Become my devotee, worship me and offer your homage unto me. Thus you will come to me without fail. I promise you this because you are my very dear friend. He didn't ask Arjuna to speak on his behalf at the end. <laughs> he made the declaration himself. You are most dear to me. I promise you, you just engage your mind in me. You simply worship me, become my devotee. You're so very dear to me that I will relieve you of all sinful activity. You will come to me. I'll stop there. Any questions? Well, I got a comment. Because that, that's kind of difficult, you know. Obviously, Krishna's in charge. Even if one commits the most abominable action, if he is engaged in devotional service, he is to be considered saintly because he is properly situated in his, in his determination. Well, if we reverse it and said, if he's properly situated in his, in, in his determination, he won't commit abominable actions. Right? But 
Obviously, we do, because that's the crack that we fall into. We keep falling into these cracks. Mm -hmm. So. But what's he say in the next verse? Well, yeah, I know, I know. I, it's okay. I, I, no, it's not okay. Well, we can't take advantage. What's he say in the next verse? How much more is this is so of the righteous brother? No, no, no. You switched. You went ahead two verses too many. Sorry, it becomes righteous. Oh, yeah. And peace. Right. He quickly becomes righteous and attains lasting peace of some country who declare boldly that my devotee never perishes. Even though there may be some, some temporary difficulty, ultimately, those difficulties fall away. Right. Now, we can get into a technical discussion. Yeah, but that isn't what I'm really saying. Okay. I, mean, I understand that. I agree. I mean, you know, I believe it all. Okay. What I'm saying is, going back to this, if he is, he's saying because he is properly situated in his determination, he's considered saintly, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if he is properly situated in his determination, mm -hmm. then I'm not going to commit that adultery. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to cheat if I'm in that, I'm in, the, in the group. What I'm saying is, it's, it doesn't happen then, it happens when we're not in the group. Mm -hmm. But so Krishna is so it, kind. Krishna that's, is that's so kind, question. he covers. I carry what they have. I preserve what they have. I provide what they lack. That's Krishna's love for us, even when the determination is not fully developed. Even right. at this stage of anartha nivriti when we still have some some stain right even when those things overtake us because we've taken to the practice and the process of devotional service bhajate we've taken to bhajana right well, I, I, I attest to the truth of that for myself okay so <laughs> then the then then maybe I don't understand what's no, I'm the just difficulty. A I'm not okay. really questioning All right. it. I'm just commenting. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, to put my two cents. Let's have it. I'm Five sure cents. it's more, more than two cents. <laughs> well, of course, that when we uh, when we are in Maya, we are in Maya, mm -hmm. and we don't, you know, we don't remember what what we read in Bhagavad Gita, or even if we can remember. Still, the pushing for sense enjoyment is such strong that we don't care much. And, okay. You know, but uh, besides this particular moment, our our determination is one pointed. Mm. And like uh, yes, here here Krishna, uh, Prabhupada translates in, in the in the word by word without deviation that we don't deviate from our goal. Even if temporary or, you know, for some, you know, let's say one day or, or half an hour or right. whatever whatever it takes, you know. Yeah. One lifetime. One lifetime. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it could be for different souls, it can be different periods of time. Mm -hmm. But if their deter determination is focused yeah. on the proper goal, that's that's what is the, I believe, is the, the key point here. Because yes. that's true that, you know, when we are covered by illusion, you know, we are covered. And we right. just, you know, it doesn't make so much any meaning to us, you know, oh, we should change our 16 rounds or right. this or that. Right. 
You know, so our deter determination kind of weakens here and there, but we're still determined. Yeah, but but yeah. you know the the moment is that okay we did something, yeah. and now what we are doing at this moment? Are we still focused on our on our goal, or or we just say wow, you know, yeah. forget about everything, just you know? Or even you say forget about everything for some time. Yeah, Krishna doesn't allow it. Yeah, that's right. You that's wanted right. me. Yeah. You can't forget that. I'm not going to let you forget that. Right. <laughs> you think you can go back out and enjoy the world now? So therefore, the Acharyas, they warn. If you have any desire to enjoy this world, don't go to the bank of the Yamuna and see that beautiful boy playing his flute. All finished once you do that. <laughs> Nothing will surpass that. Nothing in this world. From the highest planet to the lowest. You're never going to be happy. You know, um, there, there's, to add to your comment, I find that I think sometimes we need those things though to, to help us strengthen our determination because you know, I mean, I watch a lot of religious leaders, so-called religious leaders sometimes, uh, get to the point where they think they've reached perfection. And, you know, if you if you feel like you're already there, I mean, then what is the use of going on? You know, I mean, what, what motivation do you have to continue? You know, I mean, we can hear, like, you know, in the Christian church, Two things in regards to your point. Um, I kind of perceived you're saying, well, sometimes you need to to learn by the hard knocks, school of hard knocks. I understand that. But better we use our intelligence. There's, there's, there's learning by hearing. I can hear that if I rob, I'll get end up in jail. Uh, or we can observe. Oh, there goes a thief and there goes the police. I know where he's going. Or we could be so <laughs> foolish as to go and rob ourselves. And then the handcuffs are on us. We should always be a little smart and try to, uh, try to learn by hearing or at least observing. I, I like to keep in mind that, uh, you know, like, like the Bhagavad Gita says, that one should always, uh, when chanting, you know, the holy name, remind himself that he is even lowest. Strong. No, there's no question of that. That's you know, that's that's certainly there. And that that's something that I cling to myself because you know I can't really imagine myself thinking about No, when that's right. We should really always good. feel ourselves the most. Without any qualification. Mm -hmm. However, we should also always try to qualify ourselves yeah. for the mercy. All right? So both things. We have to balance both things. Yes, we have to be super humble. 
in our understanding of our fallen position, but we also have to constantly strive to qualify ourselves for receiving Krishna's mercy and the mercy of the spiritual master. In other words, we follow the instructions of the spiritual master in order to in order to to show him our true humility. To truly express humility, we surrender and follow sincerely. <laughs>